for Seth. No milk, no sugar. Right here. Thank you. To no Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today we talk to Amon Brar, self-described raconteur and former CEO of Jobvite, a comprehensive talent acquisition-focused suite, and Canvas, the world's first text-based interviewing platform. Amon and Seth dig into the necessity for innovation and how he uses tech to accomplish his mission to move society forward. It's basically like somebody's kind of eavesdropping in on you and I drinking some black coffee and and being real about business and life and everything in between. Man, thanks for making time. It's good to see you um, catching up and 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 seeing you in this kind of new state of mind. I'm I'm curious to figure out where you're at right now and what you're doing. But before we get there. Just give us a quick like flavor. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've been a CEO. Give us give us a little bit of context of what you've been up to the last decade or so, just with some of the the successes that you had. We'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the not so great moments, but let's talk about maybe the highlights right now. Sure. Yeah. The highlight reel, you know, just been fascinated with the impact technology can have on the world since I was a kid and dedicated most of my career to, to doing something in the broad category of tech. So over the last decade, um, I helped uh, uh, with a great exit and kind of build with a company called Apparatus, where we pivoted into the, the managed cloud space and had a great run there, sold that company with a great team that I was a part of to Virtusa, a, a global technology consultancy out of Westboro, Massachusetts, and then stayed on to integrate that company for uh, about a year and a half and then founded uh, Canvas uh, with, a, with a great group of people again. Uh, the world's first text-based interviewing platform had a great run there. And 16 months later, we were acquired as part of a, a four-company roll-up uh, funded by K1 Private Equity. Uh, and then I soon thereafter became the CEO of that company, uh, integrated uh, those four companies and a few more after that. So after about two years of, of fun work doing that, uh, I was decided to take a little sabbatical. And that, that's where we are right now. That's awesome, man. Um, that was a quick highlight film. Um I don't know if it gives you enough justice, man, but um, hats off to you and some of the success, man. There's been some good, good exits for you, some good, good press. And I think there's been uh, a few things that I think you've done really well. Um, one thing that really like stuck out to me was when you left Apparatus and you got a lot of your team back together and, and rebuilt a new platform with, with Canvas. It was just really, I was really, um, I honed in on you, you kind of, you were the jockey you had a cool like horse or the the business model, but you brought a lot of the the team back together. And that, I think that was key to having some success with getting started quickly and getting Canvas launched. So hats off to you, man. Tell me a little bit more about like just what was the secret sauce to having Canvas launch and, and have success? Anything else that you'd add there? Yeah, sure. I, I was just taking, I always take succinctity for real. You know, Seth, when you said the quick highlights, I you know, wanted to do that justice, but but I could, you know, I, I love telling Canvas stories, love telling apparatus stories. Those are fun, fun highlight uh, film moments. But I think with Canvas, you know, it, it doesn't feel weird now to say that you might engage with a company and actually be screened uh, or interviewed via text messaging. But, you know, kind of 
2017, that was still a really foreign concept. And so part of the success of Canvas, you know, quite frankly, was I think just really incredible timing. We started building it while it was still a really weird, uncomfortable concept. And, and we really leaned into that weirdest fact. Why we were so excited about it is, is we, would, we thought this is either going to be great or it's going to just suck. It's going to completely you know, not resonate. It's, we really felt like it was going to be one of those two things. And that weirdness to the product back then and the whole concept is actually what really excited us. Like, hey, this is weird. And the weirdness in this means it could be pretty interesting. So we, you know, as you mentioned, the team allowed, bringing the team together allowed us, given our experience, to move very quickly. And so um, when we hit the market, uh, June 13th of 2017, the weirdness of the idea, kind of text-based interviewing, those words had never been combined before. And so we ended up breaking through the technology press and just into the lifestyle press and employment. And it just kind of became a story across a lot of earned media, like, like almost like, is this really a thing? You know, is it, is this going to happen? It was like a, a, an interest story that, that, and that, that then led to a lot of inbound where we got lucky because it was almost like self-identified rebels were raising their hand to learn more about what we were doing. And so that really fueled our success. And then the market, you know, the whole notion of leveraging chat-based technologies, uh, that market just started, you know, uh, moving very quickly. So we kind of happened to be, you know, building the surfboard right right around the time that that wave was going to start coming in. And so, you know, so certainly a great team, great idea. But like anything, you know, a good dose of luck and timing on on how the market is evolving. I've been too I've been too early and been too late before as well, you know. So uh, now that's a, that's a good thought, man. On the timing part, you uh, you mentioned sabbatical. Uh, when I saw you, you're getting ready to kind of, or you were maybe just gently getting into that. You just you talked about Jobvite and private equity and running uh, a host of companies. How's how's life in the sabbatical world? What are you up to? Like, give us a flavor. Has it been good, bad? Give me, give me something. Yeah, it's been a great learning experience. I think I shared with you, Seth, like what, one of the things I was real focused on is, you know, wanting to make sure I was doing my next set of things, you know, based on impact versus my historical performance drivers of, uh, you know, anxiety and, and, you know, needing to prove to myself that I can build something. Uh, and so really trying to reframe my, my why of, of how I want to spend my energy to, to build something. So I've done some good work there, a lot of walks, a lot of meditations, some, some journaling, kind of the basic cadre of, of things you do when you're going to be introspective. Um, and it was a lot of just kind of unplanned time. You know, I didn't really attack the week with a schedule. I just, you know, goofed around with my family and tried to be helpful around the house and was, was uh, I, I probably, you know, learned something about expectations. I thought I'd be playing, playing a lot more FIFA soccer on the Xbox with my son in the afternoon and realizing he's a lot more interested in his other 12-year-old friends than me. So I had a good dose of humble pie on what, uh, what that was going to be like. But it was a really great experience to just kind of like, you know, putz around for 30, 40 days um, with, without uh, carrying a lot of stress and anxiety and, and pressure. Um, so I've kind of, as my son went back to school, August 10th was kind of my, you know, timeline to start rethinking and re-engaging with, with professional interests. And so I've just now kind of made that transition. And um, so it's like, I can't, it's funny cause I can't really point to that 40 days and say I accomplished really anything. Um, but that was also kind of, kind of the point, you know, just to, just to kind of 
of relaxing and unwinding. I'm glad, I'm glad you're intentional about that. You know, although you don't know what, what's come from it, there's probably been some goodness with being just around the house and hanging out, especially on the FIFA side, man. So are you pretty legit? Are you, are you good at FIFA? I'm decent. I mean, I think, you know, uh, I, I would need more time to be elite level, but then, you know, try to play, I uh, try to play a uh, rocket league with my son and he, they're so, he's so far beyond me. I got not, no chance. So I just, uh, I've just decided I'm a spectator when it comes to Rocket League, but FIFA I can, I can hang. I think you know FIFA, you know, is just slow twitch enough where I can uh, hang. But but you know Rocket League is it's another level of of uh, you know controller skills here that these kids have now. So yeah, man, that's that's next level. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, I, I would get <laughs> there. Learn, so, you'll learn. You'll yeah. learn. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, so what's next, man? So you you've been you've been kind of in hangout mode with the family. You, you haven't dove back in like you had in the past when you you were out of one thing and you're into the next. So what's what's cooking or what what what's interesting to you right now? Yeah, so you know, kind of organically opportunities to advise and consult uh, with with you know, in my area of interest, technology companies, etc. Those those emerged you know pretty quickly, and and um, that's actually been really fun. Like I've really enjoyed. The opportunity to work with, with kind of behind the scenes with other CEOs and other key leaders at, at companies. Um, so whether it's kind of go to market strategies or just you know executive coaching or you know preparing for acquisition. So that's been that's been a fun um, kind of portfolio of work that I've, I've been doing here this month. And then probably at least a day or two week run, you know, kind of running through uh, my my list of bad ideas to figure out which ones of those. Uh, I might want to, you know, take take from bad to decent to start to explore a little further. So I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, generating of ideas, and, and one of the key processes for me there is to, to be discussing those openly with folks to get feedback and, and start to, uh, you know, help the world shape the clay that I'm that I'm sitting there obsessed about in the moment. So I, I like you and, and the whole world, no secret, right? I've got a lot of interest in. How is the future of work going to evolve given this this climate and um, the, this radical shift that we've gone through, whether it's remote work or, um, you know, the great misalignment of, of what people are looking for in their careers and, and geographies, et cetera. So, you know, I, my, my opinion, all this chaos is going to lead to opportunity, right? I think it moves us to be thinking and experimenting um, around what, what might emerge. And so the key process for me is, getting to a place where you can kind of accept the failure of an idea before you even start it. Um, and I, I just like to walk through that funeral uh, before I even get going, you know, process. I remember when I was thinking about Canvas, I think I told you this, Seth, like I was like visualizing it not working, visualizing, you know, telling my employees it didn't work, my investors it didn't work, just so I could be prepared and accept that, hey, you know what, I walked through all that and the world didn't end, so let's go do this thing now. So I almost... It's almost like anti-positive psychology. I go to like a deep, dark place. I get real comfortable with it. And then and then I can go be a really positive person about what I'm going to go build. That's unique, man. That's definitely different. Uh, it's outside the box just, you know, because a lot of people want to find a way to make it work. You mentioned when Canvas, you guys, you, you flew out to like San Fran and you were like vetting out ideas with other like HR execs that were in the space. That was cool. I mean, you you were you were kind of doing the funeral process there to kind of see if, you know, it was going to stick or not. That's smart, man. I think doing that and kind of getting it early, fail early, being open to the, the failure and then figuring out whether it sticks or not. You continue to do that. So you're doing a little bit of that right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I think, you know, just to be, I think to push a business forward, you, you do need to be the light and, and you got to champion it and move it forward. But, you know, it's almost like, to me, a, a way to get my head wrapped around jumping off the cliff, you know, like there's that whole thought process. It's, it's almost stoicism, right? Like if you just think about having nothing and you're still alive and you're okay, and you got your family, you know, you can go take that risk. So it's really my process of preparing, um, that, you know, there's, there is risk in entrepreneurship. And so let me just pre-process it now and then be okay with it. And then, and then go do the real positive things that need to happen. I think my trip to San Francisco regarding, you know, kind of proto canvas when it was still kind of a note, asynchronous text-based interviewing was really about a, to get out of the bubble that I, I operate in. And then, you know, it's like, I wanted to get maybe a little more objectivity. I knew that I was coming off the apparatus exit. And so there would be some excitement around, you know, what we were going to do next. And so I wanted to kind of almost break through the, to your point, the, the jockey part and actually really get into the idea with some people that maybe had less connectivity to, to me and more of an objective lens. And so that, and, and then take some ideas and shape, you know, what Canvas would become. But, but I was, uh, I just felt like it was, uh, uh, you know, really critical to get out of my bubble and get, get, broader views around what I was going to go uh, build. So you got a couple ideas brewing. You're also consulting. That's fun. You're kind of in this, like you, you came up for air after the sabbatical. Um, you, you went through this run where you, you sold different companies o- over the years. Um, obviously there was exit. There were, um, there was a lot of money raised and then there was a lot of money reaped. So congrats to you on that. What do you see like in this like space of just, work and the way it's shifting, the future of work, the gig economy, text, you saw it like with cha-cha apparatus, not so much maybe apparatus, but definitely with canvas. Talk to me about like the world of like recruiting and, and just recruitment marketing. You got a good pulse on that. You work for Jobvite, which is, you know, obviously an applicant tracking system that really understood that space and did a whole host of other things. Give me a flavor for just like what you see around the corner with all the disruption. You know, interestingly, I, and I could even tie it back to apparatus. You know, the, the cloud computing was the was the wave that set off all of our ability to work remotely, right? And so, even with apparatus, the insight there was we were going to stop being an on-site consulting firm and turn into more of a kind of a people API that you buy into remotely to manage your cloud environment. And so, there was a lot of kind of interesting kind of future of work shift happening there. Uh, then the Canvas insights came from scaling a company, you know, about how should we be interacting with engineers and others? You know, they're not on the phone every day. So how might we think about engaging and screening them? So, you know, that thread's been there for, for a while. I think what I think a lot about now is, uh, you know, it, it is a it's incredibly tight labor market. And I think it's like one of the things I've been thinking about, and I, I don't have a business here right now, but I think this whole insight into the the the, the mismatch, as we're kind of calling it, between what, you know, the candidate wants to do versus what's available, kind of the shift out of the service sectors, you know, hospitals are seeing people tired on the front lines and looking to do something else. I think companies are going to have to have, for example, better tools in assessing non-traditional candidates, right? So some candidate that's coming from, you know, if you're in the service industry, you know, what could, how could we suss out who is in the service industry or who is in light industrial that might be you know, great at um, uh, at SaaS sales, right? So I think there's just a lot, a lot to figure out here as people are, are shifting from one sector to the other. 
Um, and I think, you know, managers are going to have to be thinking a lot more creatively and open-minded. I was talking to a company, you know, just yesterday where, you know, they're struggling finding salespeople and, you know, like, like a lot of companies, you may just have to look to your verticals for who your, your future salespeople are, right? So if you're selling to hospitals, it might be a nurse that's ready for a career change, not the person that's leaving Salesforce that you need to go after, right? And so, um, so I think there's a lot to do in this space around that. And then I think on the, on the whole remote versus physical part, I think there's like, what's the tooling um, to make that cohesive? I mean, we, we've sat in these hybrid Zoom meetings where there's like 10 people in a room, there's like four people not there. It's not a great experience, right? So I think there's just a lot to be figured out around how we're supposed to be working and engaging here in the future. Do you are are you more interested in the uh the kind of the mismatch solving that or 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 the the physical like how do you kind of get this like environment where it's virtual and 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 in person right? Like what 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 seems more sticky to you? I think the mismatch is a temporal and that's something to go solve right now. And I think the how we operate in hybrid, physical, virtual models is going to be a lot of experimentation and failure, and, and it's going to take a while to kind of get it right. I, I, you know, so I think, you know, it, I think one's kind of intellectually interesting in, in, in a future state type, type of perspective, um, you know, where you could end up down a path with AR and VR and virtual conference rooms and some of these really novel technologies that are you know, going to take a while for the universe to adopt. Whereas if you could figure out right now, you know, from a recruitment marketing perspective, what what nurse is going to, you know, or what light industrial employee is going to make a great, you know, software salesperson, like that's that right now there is money to be made, right, to go solve that problem. So I think that that would be something, you know, uh, here in early innings, any entrepreneur that, that wants to go think about that deeply, I'm sure there's opportunity. Well, keep stewing on some of those ideas, man. Um, always curious. Love the way your, your your mind works. Talk to me, man. Just uh, less highlight film, more about, you know, if we're looking at film, we're at Wabash. We're watching you play back in the day. Where, what, like, where did you suck? Like, what? give me some play calls that you made that just as a leader, you wish you could go back and change. Or what did you learn early on building some of these these companies where it wasn't so pleasant or you had some, some mishaps. Give me, give me a little bit of that straight up black coffee. I could go back to being, you know, starting at 21 and just being lucky to have great mentors and learning that, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but Hey, I can go get a lot done by being a bull in a China shop, but, but I'm not going to carry the team along with me. And so I got a real dose of humble pie on how to operate. I'm so thankful. I mean, I was six months into my career you know, kind of doing the head down, work hard, just pop, just plow through everything that's going to get in my way uh, and and realizing that, that, you know, hey, there's got to be more to the toolkit than that one play, right? So I can't just keep right running, dive left and dive right, you know, to get down the field, to your point. So that was an early lesson. Then I think as I started getting into leadership, um, Seth, I think, you know, I, I misunderstood, you know, kind of how this, this is like why a million books in this are written per year. I just misunderstood how, how hard it is to align and communicate with, you know, something that's bigger than a small group of people, right? It's very, very complicated. I think early as in my early you know tenure as a leader, I was like walking around, you know, why isn't anybody understanding? Didn't I already say that? Like, I don't get it. You know, like it, it was kind of this, I, I really didn't understand why there was such a disconnect between, you know, what, what I maybe said at one all hands meeting, you know, 
two months ago and why everybody's confused about the strategy today, you know, versus realizing that that context has to be set, you know, every hour, every day to keep the ship aligned. I, I, and I would say I made some, I was, I resisted that for a while and probably, you know, didn't get as, didn't help the company move forward, you know, fast enough. Um, you know, I think about that a lot in my kind of apparatus days. I, I think we probably could move, move even faster if I had, you know, understand, understood some of those more mature, you know, elements of leadership. Um, so that, that's, a, that's certainly an example, right? If I could go back in time, I'd have a whole different game plan. You learned a lot. Those are two great examples. I think bull in China shop and then context and repeating yourself. Would you ever consider writing a book like on you've had success, but you're also really like humble and transparent about like wh where you've, you're, you're pretty like real succinct to the point about like where you've dropped the ball. Did it ever cross your mind about uh, like the hard thing about hard things, like a book like that, where you, you're writing something, you've got a proven track record that ever crossed your mind at all. It's your point. It, it's, it, you know, anytime somebody wants to know what it's like in, in the startup journey, I think it's a great example book. I also love, you know, I love, um, you know, the uh, guy Roz's how I built this. He was hearing even those more, you know, less software oriented, just more, just physical, tangible, uh, uh, entrepreneurship stories are so fascinating. You know, book-wise, I guess, you know, maybe it's it's my own humility here, but I, I'd like to go just accomplish even more and have more to write about, you know, one day. And so um, it's certainly, I love teaching and I love, I love coaching and I love, you know, um, trying to uh, help folks as they're navigating, you know, their own journey um, and certainly writing. I love writing. And so I think something like that is, is uh, I could see it happening, um, but, but maybe I'd like to, you know, uh, earn the opportunity to have an even bigger platform for what I share with, with more impact over time. So humility coming out in you, man, it oozes. Um, it's good, man. You, so you remind me again, are you a Ben Davis grad? I am. Yeah. I went to Ben Davis. High so School. Local, local product, Indianapolis yeah. went to Wabash. You studied what at Wabash? Uh, economics and religion. Okay. Wow. Okay. Economics, religion. It sounds like a Wabash undergrad, yeah. uh, type yeah. of type of student. And then, um, you know, you, you've had this track record, but I was just thinking about, you said bull in China shop, but I was just thinking, what have you, what's the difference between you at, at that early age and where you're at today? You know, sabbatical probably wasn't in your Rolodex back then. You probably weren't thinking that way. Like, give me something else outside of bull in China shop that's changed between kind of the hard charging Wabash grad with like a sharp head on his shoulder and, and where you're at today with the family and, and having some exits, like, give me, give me a little bit of flavor for what you learned or what's different. You mentioned my name, so you know, I, I was a, kind of a late bloomer in, in many aspects of my life, including finding my own footing and kind of confidence in life. So I was not a very confident, you know, young person. I was not, you know, sure-footed, um, you know, you know, had a lot of anxiety, you're probably just over worried all the time. And I think in some ways, when I went to college, I started blossoming and finding my groove in life, you know, whether it was on the football field or in the classroom. And then so I learned the skill of confidence. And I think that that's actually where that that bull and china shop mentality came from in my early career. I also, you know, just growing up without much money, was just so focused on Kind of earning my wage and earning my keep, and I didn't want anything to get in my way to take care of my family and those types of things. You know, as I as I've you know grown since then, you know, I think 
Um, you know, there's so many areas where I've just been so lucky to be around people who will give it to me straight. You know, here's one example, you know, Seth, when I'm debating ideas, I can get like real direct and, and I get real focused on the idea. And, you know, there'll be moments for sure where irritation gets expressed in my voice, right? And I sound irritated. And that's something that, you know, it's off-putting, right? And I get, and, and something I, I really, really work on to A, make, make two things clear. One is my, you know, if I do express irritation, it has nothing to do with the, the person. I'm just so excited about the idea that, um, you know, I, I get real into the idea. And, and so, you know, but, but I've also learned that, you know, not everybody is going it, to, it's about me kind of evolving, you know, not so much uh, trying to go explain that to everybody. Like, what can I work on to just not let that irritation, you know, drive through, you know, uh, my communication style as I'm, as I'm digging in on something. So that, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's created real challenges for me, you know, both in my, in my household, right. And, and certainly in, in, in my professional life where that, you know, I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy. And so then when, it, a bit of irritation comes out, it can feel like a real cold shower, right? Because it's, it's not the almond people are used to. And so that's something that I, I try to, I don't want people to feel like they have to vacillate, uh, you know, around, you know, my, uh, my, my tone of my voice, if you will. So. Obviously you've learned a lot along the way. I'm, I'm curious, just, I, I've never had a chance to work alongside you. Um, we've worked together as partners. Morales uh, took on Canvas and it was a game changing recruiting software for us. We loved it. My, my thought sitting with you as a CEO, you're very visionary, but you also, you, you seem to, to be really good at maybe getting the right players on the field around you as quarterback to, to have success. So you, you know, it's a team thing. It's not just me. I'm, I'm the only most important kind of teammate on the field. What do you, as a CEO, man, what do you suck at? Like, what's something that you know, you get like a 360 review or you're talking to your board when you were with Javite and they're like, hey, this is something you could work on. Give me give me a little bit of a, a chink in the armor. What was that look like? I think I want people to read my mind sometimes. Right. And so I'm not being as as clear and succinct from an accountability perspective. Right. It's like, well, of course, they know what they're supposed to be doing. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And versus that, you know, uh, being more concrete with, hey, you know, the plane needs to take off at this time. It needs to land at this time. Here's the altitude it needs to achieve. And that's something that I'm, I'm always working on. Now, you know, my hack for that, right, is again, back to, you know, look, I was a, I was a, um, you know, a left tackle, right? So I, I'm, I'm used to folks like you, Seth, the receivers and the quarterbacks getting all the glory. So I think some of my, my uh, ability to really want to promote others is just because I, I really, you know, that's how it was in the football field for me. I knew my job was important. Um, but but when I think about, you know, a business, you know, that team has been so important to me, you know, being being with great operators, right? And having incredible operating partners, you know, folks like Jared Adams and others, uh, Peter Clare at, at Jobvite that I've worked with, um, you know, even uh, you know, Joe Coots, who's our chief revenue officer at, at Jobvite, you know, such an operational mindset. And so it's it's important for me when I'm building the team to think about, you know, what am I, what am I really missing? Right. Cause you know, I can, I you know, do a pretty good job at setting a vision. You know, I think, so, I think I got, I, I have had to learn to, to be more direct and holding people accountable. And, and, you know, I have a desire for harmony. So I have to push through that and, and, and really recognize that, you know, it's helpful for that, that person to be held accountable to what, to what they said they were going to deliver to the organization. So just being clear in my communication and, 
not just always assuming that people know uh, what they need to be doing today. Um, that's a real thing that I'm, that I'm always, always working on. And sometimes, you know, you get bad habits when you're working with a team that, that where you read each other's minds, you can create a little bit of a weakness there when you form a new team because you're just so used to riffing on each other with each other. Uh, it's like playing with a new band. It's like, oh, no, we really need to look at the sheet music now. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, we need to actually, like, do this differently. I've had to, I've had to make those adjustments for sure. Would you ever be an employee or are you always entrepreneur, consultant? Did you ever get into the, uh, hey, I'm going to be a teammate? Any, any any desires there? Hey, that's just not my cup of tea. If I think past my ego, for sure, I think I could see myself there. I think when I visualize that kind of stuff, you know, Seth, it's probably probably around impact. You know, like uh, I've had folks ask, "Hey, would you ever you know work in government?" And I'm like, you know, hey, look, if, if there's a if there's a job that needs to be done and I can make an impact and, and be a you know the assistant deputy of make the world better. Yeah, I'll go do that. You know what I mean? I don't need, I don't, I don't need to be uh, necessarily the, the, the top person. Um, so I, I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to those things. I think certainly don't, don't know, don't know. And some of it's like just keeping a beginner's mind and an open mind on, you know, what the future, you know, might, might hold. You know, I certainly, you know, enjoy the, the craft of, of leading. Um, but, you know, you look at a, let's look at a company like Apple, you know, you've got, you know, probably 40 people there that could be the CEO of a large company, right? You know, so I think it's all about what's the team and what's the objective and what's the mission. Um, uh, you know, when I think about startups, it's hard for me to visualize not being the CEO, but, but even that could be something new and could be something interesting. Getting to my sabbatical, I had to work through the ego, letting go of the perks that come along with being the CEO of a, of a decent, you know, uh, decently sized company, you know, and, and kind of working through getting into that new skin, you know, of just going, Hey, like, you know, some of the, the soft power that you get from having that role is going to go away and, you know, let's embrace that. Good thoughts there. What about the tech scene in indie, man? Give me a flavor for, for what you think. I mean, some people say, uh, it's just, it's just another, you know, city, um, got a little momentum, but it's not like the coast or Chicago or Austin, and some say, hey, you know, it, it's got good momentum. There's a lot of real good things going on. Just what's your quick vibe on Indianapolis tech scene and, and what's ahead? Never been a better time to be in tech in the in the world, right? So being in software is a great place to be. I think um, uh, India is a great place to be for tech. I think, But I think the thing we have to recognize, and we've talked about this, Seth, is all, all the ships are rising, right? So we have to rise. We have to find a way to rise faster than our competitive cities. I do think the one thing that's 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 helping Indianapolis right now is, you know, people have really rethought where they want to live and how life should feel and look. And, and Indy has some things to offer from a comfort perspective and amenities that make it a good place to think about developing a tech career or starting a company. Now, we have a lot of work to do, and I think we should be really proud of ourselves and the progress that we've made. But I think we got to keep it real and know that like we're, we're not doing enough, quite frankly. We, we, you know, the state and city have to keep you know, pushing forward because it's incredibly competitive out there. Lots of cities are doing lots of amazing things. And I think not, not, not only can we not let off investing, uh, we, we have to invest more, right, to, to, to get this thing, you know, really competitive over time with our competitive cities. Man, I think this bold vision is what I heard the other day. I was on a call with Scott Dorsey and he was just talking about how the city of Indianapolis needs 
more of a, a, a bigger, bold, riskier um, vision for what's ahead. Because if we don't, like you said, uh, the tides are rising across the, the country with certain demographics and cities. And um, we got to take advantage of a, a different play call. It's kind of like the, uh, the play call they made in the 60s and 70s to really kind of reshape the sports in Indianapolis that really kind of made us kind of a, a magnet for kind of being a host city of, of many sporting events. And it's really kind of defined how we look, you know, today. So really, really fascinating. I know you got a really good pulse. I know you're on the board. Remind me again, you're on the board of, of something on the tech side. Really happy to support Michael Angelier and his efforts at Tech Point. Um, and so, you know, tend, tend to do a fair amount of work and um, in the kind of employment sector, you know, whether it's employee indie or fellowship. Um, and then the one that's you know, very near and near to my heart is the, I'm the board chair for Teach for America uh, here in uh, Indianapolis, also on the IU Foundation board. So board work has been, been fun. It's fun to contribute, you know, in that way. But uh, I've got, I definitely have my fair share of, of, of board work um, and uh, really enjoy, you know, working with those people that, uh, you know, it's like the, being a capitalist, it's really fun to be around people that are, you know, every day, every moment of their day trying to figure out how to move society forward in some fashion. Well, I'm excited for you, man. I think you've done a lot of great work. Obviously you've had successes with your businesses that you've started up and sold and, um, you know, you, you've doing a lot for the city with the board work, but you're still, you still got some gas in the tank, man. You said something to me the other day. It was really interesting. You said there was this like all this, like, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it was this kind of this, like everyone was in SAS, but like kind of in the, the SAS space, there wasn't uh, a whole lot in kind of recruitment, marketing or ta talent. And you saw software as a service and like what they were doing with exact target and email, but there was this whole other niche with like recruitment, marketing or marketing um, in the talent space that just wasn't being tapped into. And now it's obviously caught up, but you saw that a long time ago. You took advantage of it. Are you going to stay in that space? Or are you get are you gonna shift out and go into somewhere else? Because I need to know because I got I gotta like I gotta stay close to you, man. What what's what does that look like? There's a part of me, you know, it's it's a strength and a weakness that I enjoy novelty. So there's no doubt part of me is really interested in exploring, you know, new spaces uh, you know in their in their entirety. And really it happened, you know, with the whole uh, recruiting sector. You know, I was not in that space outside of trying to run a business and then, you know, saw an opportunity and dove in. And so there's a part of me that maybe love to find something, you know, net new. There's other part of me that goes, "Hey, how can I take this, these experiences that I have and 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 build upon something in that space to move it forward?" So I really, don't, you know, don't know. But the, your, the, the story you're recounting, Seth, which is when I was thinking about what problems do I want to go work on solving, you know, I just felt like we in the in the, in Indy, for example, we had so much great talent uh, focused on the kind of martech sector and sales technologies and. Uh, which which are awesome, and, and if anything, those those markets continue to grow, right? Even though they're competitive, and I just thought, well, hey, you know, maybe I should contribute to a new space that might be being overlooked, that doesn't have, you know, all the you know brightest minds and, and capital already flowing to it. Now, the reality is that's changed. You know, HR tech is a very hot market with with some of the best thinkers, you know, in the world, uh, and there were certainly people before me, many, many, many companies and people that were trying to to, to uh, uh, move that that space forward, um, and I think the world's onto it now. So it's it's just as hot as, as anything, you know, whether it's fintech or martech. I mean, there's so much investment, uh, and I mentioned this to you once. If you ever want to, you know, go out to a conference, you're just blown away by how much innovation is happening in 
and the recruiting and HR. Yeah, I, I totally chopped that up. Martech, Fintech, uh, HR tech. There you go. That that was, yeah. Um, it shows you how much I know about your space, but um, it matters. It, it, it's been fun to see you continue to build and grow, man. And um, I really appreciate you giving us time today. Um, any Anything you want to just part, parting, any thoughts? You're always a good guy, kind of right off the cuff. Anything you want to leave our listeners with? Two things. Hopefully when I come back next, I'll be more concrete about what the heck I'm going to be up to. And I'd love to have that figured. I'd love to have that figured out for myself. But I guess what I leave the listeners with, and I don't want to sound cheesy, but I think it's so important, but there's just so many people. It's it's a tough time for so many right now. And and no matter how much money you have and um, no matter how well off you are or how stable your own life is, there's someone's day that you can make better. And I just think we just got to keep that front and center because it, it can be hard to figure out, you know, how to change the world. But it's really easy to call somebody you haven't talked to in six months and just tell them that you love them. Thanks for sharing and uh, look forward to catching up and hearing about what's next. I've been a big fan of his. He saw us as a customer. He also saw us as somebody who's like a little bit more progressive thinking and can beta test ideas. Yeah, it's been fun. I think trying new ideas to reinvent how we recruit because I think we want to find ways to think outside the box. Right. One of the main things that stuck out to me about your guys' conversation today was that it's really innovation that is his main drive and kind of his why and his purpose. And tech is just how he accomplishes that. I think it really kind of shown through that he really does want to drive society forward. And his avenue to doing that is just his talent in tech. Uh, he's really good, I think, at seeing ideas ahead of, you know, kind of being a first mover and vetting out those ideas. The other thing that I, I took away from Amon just like early on in his life didn't have a lot of confidence and the humility that kind of comes through because he's had a lot of success. They've sold their businesses for like multi millions of dollars. So he's had um, some really good fruit from that. But like it's it's like in a good dose of humility, too. So you don't always see that. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting too, just him talking about how he was a late bloomer. I think that's something that is so positive to talk about on this podcast that, you know, you have so much time to kind of see these ideas through. It's not something where, you know, before you're 30, you have to, you know, sell several businesses. It's like you have time, like you have your whole life for ideas. I fig- I figured you you might gravitate to that late bloomer comment. I know you're pretty good at like picking out the goodness and, and what people are sharing. So my money is on Amon Barar and what's what's ahead. I would be really interested to see what he does. Uh, anything he touches is usually successful and he does it in a way that's humble and he creates some cool teams around him. I think the thing that I'm most impressed with him is just how innovative he is. Like he likes to jam out on like getting in the clouds and really trying to like solve ideas and problems. I don't think like that. He's like, let's that would be a really interesting problem to solve. And then from there, it distills down into a business and then he kind of vets it out and, you know, formulates, you know, investors. And then he, he knows how to make it happen. So that's just a really uh, unique skill set. Not everyone has that. He can be in the clouds, but he can also be on the dirt, like on the ground floor hustling. That's a special cocktail of, um, you know, being able to have that kind of high level, big picture thinking, but also being able to execute it. I feel like it's rare that you have both of those in one person and it speaks to why he's been so successful. Thanks for tuning into another episode of No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. 
Tag us with hashtag no milk, no sugar, or email us at no milk, no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.